0: or online at victoriasecret.com.
3: Dear listener, experience the fashion revolution that is Snag and visit SnagTights.us today.
0: Welcome to Katie's Crib, a production of Shondaland Audio in partnership with iHeartRadio. Welcome back to Katie's Crib, everyone. I'm Katie Lowes, and on this episode, we're talking about those other precious babies in our lives—our furry babies, our dogs. Okay, since I started this podcast, I have been absolutely dying to do an episode on both pets and kids. So with us today is the amazing Matt Beisner, who in my eyes is a dog whisperer because of how he was able to help my super duper difficult dog, dog, Roger. If you guys know him, Roger Hamilton Shapiro's, I Instagram him all the time. He's a curmudgeon old fart of a dog that I love. Matt who you may know from his National Geographic TV show called Dog Impossible provides the best kind of training and helps people develop the deepest possible relationship with their dog and he taught me so much and so many different kinds of approaches that I wanted to share with you guys on Katie's Crib. So thank you for being on Matt.
1: Oh, I'm so glad to be here Katie. Thank
4: you. Oh
0: my gosh, I'm this has been I have to tell you like I sent out tweets and and posts asking Katie's Crib listeners, like, what are topics you really want to cover? Mm. And across the board, people have always asked, how do I bring a baby home to my house when I have a dog, when I have a difficult dog, when I have an older dog? What happens if I want to get a dog and I have a kid? Are dogs good for allergies? What happens if a dog bites a kid? I mean, it's a very triggering topic and you saved my dog life. I almost had to get rid of my dog so many times, and I'll explain that in a minute. But let's just start with a brief background on you and how you got into this field and what inspired you to work with all dogs, but specifically aggressive dogs to begin
1: with. Yeah, I I, um, I was smiling when you asked that because the the, the story never gets old that I actually was afraid of dogs till about 11, 11, 12 years ago. Now I have a, an appropriate sense of fear, but I had an irrational fear, and I was bit when I was a kid on Halloween, oh I was like eight years old and, and my parents knew what what a lot of people still consider to be helpful information which is if a dog's tail is wagging that means you can pet the dog so it was halloween i had a little pumpkin or you know orange candy pumpkin bucket with me and my parents had dressed me up like richard nixon and so the mask and everything it was a total <laughs> setup and i go to uh I, so i i'm approaching the dog and the dog's wagging its tail and i reach out and the dog punctures me in the arm and that was it that was like for the next 30 something years. I had that fear and the fear just progressed. And then I got older and I was ashamed of it. And you know, you're not supposed to be a grown man and be afraid of dogs and sure. all that kind of stuff. And, and then I landed with somebody about 12 years ago and moved in with somebody. I was pretty sick at the time. And well, I'm, I've been open with people about the fact that I'm sober. So I was actually detoxing and, and I moved in with her and she had an aggressive Puppy <laughs> who would attack me every time I moved around the house, and so that <laughs> kind of how it started. And from there, I ended up helping her dog, and, and who's now my dog. We've since split, but the dog and I are still together. And helping her dog and her friend's dogs and friends of friends' dogs. And I uh, I, I did a lot of stuff then that I, that I wouldn't recommend now. You know, I was a, a hack in a lot of ways. But what was fundamental is that I began the relationship with the dog predicated on what the dog needed and my understanding of what the dog needed was limited for sure and my ability to help the dog was limited for sure but it planted a seed that became a a foundational principle of the zen dog as it is today which is what do i do for this dog and if i make my relationship with the dog about what the dog needs everybody changes for the better
0: Mm, and wait can you just go back and explain for people who are listening what zen dog is which is How I knew I was in the right place was Mm. when I went on the Zen. I was at a loss. I had just adopted a seven-year-old dog, Adam and I, and he was air snapping at people. He was Mm. very aggressive on a leash. He hated other dogs. So my visions of having dog playdates with friends and going on long hikes up Runyon Canyon with my girlfriends and their dogs was not a reality. And I went to the website, it said the Zen dog. And then I believe, I think the logo was there are no bad dogs or something. correct. It said, there are no bad dogs, and I remember breathing for the first time.
4: Mm.
0: So tell me what Zen Dog is.
1: Well, the Zen Dog is a place uh, for hope and help and solution. It's a place where people learn that they're not alone. One of the things that's important in the scientific understanding is that 90% of aggression is fear-based, and so if if we just look at that, if 90% of aggression is fear-based, then it is it is overwhelmingly likely that the aggression that that your dog or a dog that you're interacting with is expressing is simply because it's afraid. And if we look at it that way, it starts to shape in in really important ways the way we interact with the dog, because I have a three and a half year old son. He's angry right now because we have a five month old daughter that wasn't part of his plan.
0: (laughs) Tell me more.
1: (laughs) 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 So when he wants to slap me on the face, you know there's something else going on and and so if i know that 90% of aggression is fear based and and i know what it's like having been afraid of dogs and i know what it's like to be aggressive in my life from a place of fear if i have that consideration it changes how i'm going to meet the dog you know and meeting the dog where it's at is is the first thing we do i got to respect what this dog needs not what i want not oh. what i want it to want not what i think it wants i got to respect what this dog needs which is what you and adam have have done you're, just a, you're such great examples of how this works, because you had with Roger a show dog who had been touched, preened, and poked without permission his entire life. And he had good reason to say, I don't want a human being to touch me ever again.
0: That's exactly right. And that's right. how and, we had to start. Yes. And Matt, I, I, I think a lot of people in our generation get dogs before kids, because I think mm-hmm. we are having babies later in life.
4: Yeah.
0: And I think... For a lot of people, they share a dog first, maybe in their relationship. And the dog is sort of the gateway drug to possibly children. Anyway, that was the case for me and Adam. And you guys, we got one hell of a fucking dog. Okay, (laughs) Like, like, And what Matt did, you came in and you did a few home sessions with us. And I remember you sat down and what you said to me was, you can either accept Roger for who he is. Or you can't, and you he can't be your dog. You have to give him up, or you accept him for who he is. And I started sobbing because I just had to, like you said, love him for who he is, which means, no, I can't take him on social hikes with my friends. No, I can't take him to the dog beach and let him off leash and go frolic in the waves with other people. No, I can't trust him in big groups of people when they come over my house. He has to go away. And yet, I love him anyway. <laughs> Because he's you don't love my. Him any less. I don't know. I don't love him any less. I love him the ways he needs me to be loved, which is yeah. he allows me to pet him on the belly in the morning and at night when he's relaxed and on the floor. You know, he, he, I know him so well inside and out, and I know what he doesn't like. And I've just had to accept that he doesn't like those things. Mm-hmm. Whether or not I want to hike, it's never going to happen. Yep. <laughs>
1: You said something interesting there. I heard, I think what you meant to say is, he, I love him the way that he needs to be loved. But yes. what I think I actually heard you say is, I love him the way he needs me to be loved. And if I riff off that for a second, that is actually a deeper, profound understanding of the nature of a relationship with a dog. Because if I love my dog based on the way I need to be loved, not the way I want to be loved, not the way I think you should love me, but really what I need to be loved, then it lets, it lets my dog off the hook because my dog's not there to fix my... Problems. Um, problems. Yeah.
0: That was exactly yeah. it. So tell me, maybe take us through how you, what's so great about having you on is that you also have two kids. Mm. How do you coach new parents into bringing a baby home, let's say, first to a household that has a dog?
1: Well, we, we do on our, on our website, com. we have a, a slew of information that's available. And Brooklyn, my wife and I, Brooklyn, when we were preparing for our son, Talon's, Arrival, um, who's our oldest? We already had five dogs. Four of them were lethally aggressive, and we had to have a very real conversation about whether or not we were going to be able to keep all five of our dogs. So we actually wrote what ended up being like a treaty, like a, a treatise, like sixteen-page document of real-time experience. Coupled with you know empirical evidence and how science would support things about how to integrate a dog and and the thing to keep in mind is that safety and integration those are the points from which this uh, a temple of harmony can be built. Mm-hmm. Safety is not enough by itself because safety can mean that I I put the dog in the room every time somebody comes over and the dog has never integrated into anything. Safety means I don't let my dog meet other dogs and then my dog never has a dog friend. So safety doesn't really do anything, it just means that we don't get arrested. It doesn't <laughs> mean I didn't do, didn't do criminal acts, I just didn't get arrested, you know what I mean? <laughs> totally. Some of us. Yeah. So safety and integration is key and, and we come into it knowing that for many of us, definitely for Brooklyn and I, that our kids, our first kids are, are as you said, are our dogs. And so there's this, really sensitive and important and complex dynamic to, to address in a short amount of time while the hormones are firing off and this baby's growing in your belly. And if we look at this and we think about how we set the dog up to succeed, that's really the number one question. How do I set this dog up to succeed? So in Roger's case, it doesn't jive for Roger to be around a kid party. Nope. So with our five dogs, Nama, who's, uh, who's uh, one of our pit mixes, who's a big star on our show, Dog Impossible. Nama loves everybody, everybody and everything. So Nama loves a kid party. She's been to them. My Jindo, not so much. My little terrier, the one that I, was, that I first met when I was, um, when I was <laughs> getting facing my fear of dogs, yeah. not at all. So I got to know who the dog is, meet the dog where it's at. When we're looking at this integration process, safety and integration are key. How do I set the dog up to succeed? And there are a couple things too to bear in mind. One is that we we actually have time. Some people are up against it. They call me at at month eight of pregnancy. And they say, what do we do? And then I'm just looking at setting absolutely safe parameters. Mm -hmm. Uh, I first like to look at what's realistic for how you want your dog to be living with you. Do you want your dog to still be sleeping in the bedroom? definitely not having your dog sleep in the bed. But I, I have to look at what's practical because as parents, you're gonna lose your mind. It reminded me of like a Monty Python sketch where my, my, my skull cap had been taken off. And then another one that was not mine was put back on and my brain just kind of kept falling out. <laughs> I couldn't pick up all the pieces. Mm-hmm. And that's how you're supposed to manage a dog and a kid. It's not a great setup. So, so I'm always looking at what's practical. For example, if your dog sleeps in the bed, not gonna work. There are serious attachment issues that are going to come into play. A lot of dogs, actually, what they do is they figure out this kid is now the center of attention, and so I'm going to cozy up to this kid. And it reads like, oh, my dog loves my kid so much. Look at my dog. Licks my kid's face and lets him lay on him and all that stuff. And I can't tell you over the years from the people that come to me, nobody's coming to me on a winning streak. From the people that come to me, That was all cool until it wasn't. And when we play it back, we actually get to see that the dog was clearly communicating, I'm not okay with this. Mm. So if we're looking at what's practical, not having the dog in the bed, um, Brooklyn and I talked about it. I selfishly wanted the dogs in the bedroom, and she made the right call anyway. She said, that's not going to be okay with me, and, and if you think about it, waking up multiple times a night, whether your kid is, is in the sleeper next to you or co-sleeping in the bed or your kid's in, in another room, do you want your dog to be disturbed every time your kid is disturbed?
0: Right. Your dog it, doesn't want to be
1: disturbed either. Dog, exactly. No. So we start to shape things practically. How do you want to move about the house? How do you want to bring the kid home and introduce the dogs? Those kinds of things. And even though it can feel overwhelming, because we're looking at safety and integration, the dog has a unique opportunity, if it's set up safely, to, to actually watch your kid grow. And most dogs, there is a list of 13 subliminal bite triggers that every dog is, any dog is predisposed to. And one of the subliminal bite triggers is kids. So dogs don't typically have a frame of reference for a kid. But the upside of having a, an infant, a newborn, and we had our second kid, we did a home birth. Wow. Yeah, on Halloween. She was born on Halloween. Oh. And we actually left the front door open and all the trick or treaters got to come in. It was rad. Wow. No, we didn't do that. Okay, yeah. So,
0: <laughs> I was just thinking so, in my head, I was busy thinking, this is so full circle. You got bit yeah. <laughs> by a dog on Halloween and then you had a baby on Halloween. I was like, oh, that makes, that, that's not full circle. That doesn't make any sense. <laughs>
1: <laughs> but our dogs didn't, they didn't bark once. Wow. They, didn't, like, they were so, they were so.
0: With it, there for you
1: guys. Yeah, yeah. so, so the, the, long an, the long detailed answer to your important question here is that your dog has time to acclimate because your kid's not going to do much. Other than making noises and having diapers that smell interesting, your kid's not going to do much for the first few months. And so our, our girl, our daughter, she is now five months. She's just starting to work on this, although she wants to Pushing call. Pushing up. Yeah, all of that. So, so your dog has time to get used to this thing. Right.
0: Do you recommend anything of like bringing home something that smells like the baby and how you bring the dog inside? That's the stuff I really remember going over with you is like I was in the hospital and I'd just given birth to Albie and I had my brother come to the hospital, pick up like a bloody blanket Mm -hmm. that I had like Mm -hmm. one of the many pieces of fabric that had been used in childbirth. And my brother just because he's awesome, came and picked it up and brought it mm-hmm. home and had Roger smell it or something. Yep. And then I vaguely remember when we brought Albie home, all meeting out in the middle of the street yeah. and then walking into the house in the yeah. order of power, if that makes yeah. sense, right? Yeah,
1: yeah, yeah, I hear or, what you're saying. And like
0: we met know, in the street, I walked in with the baby, then Adam walked in and Roger right. walked in last because he needed right. to know the shift had happened or something.
1: Yeah, and what you did is actually you, you created in real time, experientially for Roger, a buffer. And that's important because when you got a new baby, our, our rule in our house was hula hoops length. No dog, I don't care how comfortable you are a dog with, with us and our family, no dog is within an arm's length or hula hoops length of the baby until we say so. Um, we didn't have, our dogs didn't make contact with our kid until he was about three months old, and that was when they, they kissed his feet. And then about five and a half months old, Brooklyn was there because she had been doing it because she was home with, him and the dogs at five months old, five and a half months old, our blue nose pit, Deja Blue, got to lick him in the face. Mm. That stuff takes time, but a lot of people don't do it that way. So you yeah, you mean that like most
0: people at first really dive into it quickly, right? Like I feel really. like I see a lot of newborn video pictures of like you know bringing home the baby and day two they're they're being yep. placed on the dog's yep. belly and the dogs licking yep. the face. And you think it's much more important to do everything very slow and really measured,
1: right? I think that, but that's also the world of dogs that I work in. You know, there, right. there, are, there are just amazing stories and videos about dogs. You can see they're genuinely happy and protective and bonded and those kinds of things. So, you know, to your question, it's about taking the mystery out of it. This whole thing is going to be weird and foreign and alien to everybody in the home. Right. You know, humans and dog included. So. Taking the mystery out of it. So if I'm going to take the mystery out of it, I want to give the dog access to smells, sights, and sounds. This is not information I created. This is, this is pretty standard. What Brooklyn and I did that was really informative was we created the baby date, which I'm, which I'm really stoked about sharing. And, and, um,
0: Ooh, the what's baby it? Date was, what is it? What is it? What the is baby it?
1: date is we got a... Uh, it's not the make-a-baby date. That already happened. The baby <laughs> date was we got a fake baby, and Brooklyn actually did the research. And she I did this. Remember that?
0: Yep. I you guys, I'm so sorry, but it's weird. Mom brain and dad brain is, yeah, you know, mad is a real, real thing. thing. I have a two and a half year old, and I forgot yep. that I bought a fake baby that yep. made crying sounds.
1: Yep, off the black market. Oh,
0: that's right. And I and I like would. This was when the nursery was built, and I put the mm. baby in like the baby carrier, right. or like pretended to change the baby's diaper, or yep. like. Hold the baby and press the button so that it cried while I held the baby. Yep. So that the first time Alby did that in my house, Roger had already been seeing me do that yes. with the fake yes. baby.
1: Yep, you took the <laughs> mystery out. And we the the thing about the baby date that was so that was so great. There's there's an amazing vegan restaurant here called Little Pine. Shout out to Little Pine.
0: Shout out Little Pine.
1: And we actually it's one of our favorite places to eat. So we had this fake baby that that our dogs hadn't seen yet and we'd kept it in the car which was you know the last last couple of weeks we'd ever get away with doing something like that we kept it in the car we went on this baby date and got dressed up and really enjoyed the time with each other and we made a point on our on our baby date at this great dinner of talking about everything we loved about each other what we thought about each other as parents what we everything we loved about our dogs what you know, we just there was so much love in the meal and in the experience which was key because what you do is you come home with oxytocin. You come home with a baby in a carriage and full of oxytocin, which is the love drug. And what happens with the love drug is in those first two hours, the oxytocin levels, and it decreases, but the oxytocin levels are the highest they're ever gonna be in the child's life. So if we're looking at that two-day window, there's still quite a bit of it in the air in the two-day window. If you come home with the baby and you've got all this good juju and your dog picks that up, it's really helpful for the dog to know what that's about.
0: Yeah, and they've seen it before
1: and they've seen it before. So we brought fake baby home, we put fake baby on the on the coffee table. And and I watched, we didn't do anything, I just wanted to observe and I watched what my dogs were gonna do. And the, the terrier, Kingston, who was the one that got me into all this, mm-hmm. actually got really weird with fake baby. And that's when Brooklyn and I had, unexpectedly had to have that conversation. Are we gonna be able to keep Kingston? What does this say about me as a dog trainer, et cetera, et cetera, and we did. and. And haven't had an incident with him. Kingston's quite content.
0: Yeah. Escape to summer with Victoria's Secret. Pack your bags with just arrived swim, cover-ups, corset tops, and other sexy silhouettes. When the sun goes down, opt for bold and blingy styles, like the made-to-be-seen, very sexy push-up bra from the Very Sexy Collection, in on-trend hues like black shine, green, and citron. And now, in this season's must-have shades and patterns, add the finishing touch with a limited-edition bombshell-escape fragrance, a free-spirited take on the iconic Victoria's Secret scent. Dive into a vibrant blend of juicy guava, lush palms, and summer glow peony. Shop now at your closest Victoria's Secret store or online at victoriasecret.com.
2: This is it. Your moment. This is your time to make your comeback with Purdue Global.
3: Orders. Don't delay in experiencing the fashion revolution that is snag at snagtights.us.
0: We've had to really learn the rules of, you know, it's such a in a way, it's a blessing that, that, like you said, watching these babies grow, that everything sort of mm. happens slowly. You know, they learn to crawl before they learn to walk. They learn to walk before they learn to run, thank God, because I've yep. been able to watch yep. how Roger does. And now yep. it's like they're just hardcore rules. Like if there's two babies over, three babies over, Roger has to be put away if there's any baby parties at the house our dog walker has to come and take roger away or my brother has to come take roger for a play date for four hours whatever but like it's also for my peace of mind like i have a difficult dog and it's my responsibility to make sure that i set him up for success
3: right
0: and throwing him in the middle of a play date with toddlers who are now running around and some of them running after him is a terrible mix for my dog
1: yeah yeah and that's that's the bottom line you know we talked about this a little bit before that it's it's ultimate about setting roger up and roger doesn't want that nama my nama wants it roger doesn't want it and the other thing that's really important that you said is for your peace of mind because there's it is hard enough parenting and it's hard enough trying to be a good parent you know and be a conscious parent and those all those things and
0: and there's no way to say if a dog bit a kid my it would be my fault right it
3: Right. It, it would be
0: away. 100% my fault because I in know my dog and I yeah. know that he's sensitive to certain situations and I yeah. can't, um, it's part of me being a dog owner that I don't put him in those situations. Yeah.
1: And I'm not against rehoming, I should say, as a PSA. Oh, yeah, you yeah. Know, I've, I've done that and that's really important. I just want, and that's not my call if people decide to do that, but I want parents to be able to make solid, experientially informed choices because it it is a very, very difficult choice. And and if a dog bites a kid, the odds of that dog getting rehomed are are exponentially smaller.
0: Yeah. Can you tell me about one of your training methods is to communicate with dogs through energy? Hmm. I'm sure all of you listeners out there can just listen how the Matt Beisner energy is something I wish we could all just like wash ourselves with constantly um, because it's so calming. And I don't know if it's because you work with aggressive dogs or people going through at times very, very traumatic things with their dogs. But can you tell yeah. me about treating? What is that?
1: Yeah, it's a, it, it is not, um, I know it, it can sound woo woo, but <laughs> you ask anybody that's a parent and they walk into a room and they can tell you what the energy mm-hmm. is. They're at a dinner and, and the sitter says everything's cool, and then something doesn't feel right, and they get a text. Oh, you know your baby's choking on the knife I left out. You know, so <laughs> Sorry. so it's so that's a real thing. I know that you know ninety four percent of human communication is nonverbal, but we've built this world on the six percent. You know, and not not very well. So there's there's a lot more happening here than than I can understand. What I do know is that if I if I get quiet. And, and, I, and I practice being calm around my dog. And I practice what I call detachment, which is not being cold. I'm not ignoring the dog. But if I, if I practice detachment, so I don't engage with the dog unless the dog is calm, I start to see the dog in different ways. And I start to see my impulses to engage with the dog or get something or rile the dog up or, or be loved. I start to see that. And I start to see the impact that I have when I do engage with my dog. So you, you basically get you get your power back in this relationship if you if you detach and you start to let your dog tell you who it is you get you get real genuine positive impact in the relationship so energy changes energy can be changed biologically physiologically chemically by the weather the time of day guests you have over what dogs do is they they can experience something that stresses them and then they can stack the stressors up and then and then even up to 48 hours later the dog snaps and, and it seems like it's come out of nowhere Ooh. I am not zen, I'm not the zen dog. I have to be this way as as somebody who is uh, has to be clean and sober. I I just have to maintain a certain mental and emotional sobriety. Mm-hmm. And it just so happens that that practically that works really well for dogs and I've been able to take the principles of that and offer it to people in a way that they can apply it in their homes and and make it their own. And it and it allows things to breathe and it allows the dogs to be themselves and
0: I totally remember this.
1: Hmm. To this day, I, uh, I will say to my staff, even though I'm 10 years and thousands of dogs into working with exceptionally dangerous dogs, I'll go into a yard where we're working with a dog and I'll say, I, I don't feel right today and I'm tapping out and I'm going to let you run this session. And wow. I have to know that about myself. It's a different level of humility than how I was, I'll put this on myself, different level of humility than how I raised myself to be.
0: Whoa. I remember this. I remember, you know, I grew up with very easy dogs. And I think that mm-hmm. was also the huge mm-hmm. problem with having the dog I got and also having a baby in this sort of a picture. Because yeah. I grew up in a family where the dog slept in the bed and we all slept with the dog and we rolled around yeah. with the dog and the dog was a very submissive you know, always on its back, ready for anything. And I had to repaint the picture in my mind that that's not what my family was gonna look like. Yeah. And I remember you retraining my brain of not rewarding Roger by petting him when he was super stoked and excited and wagging his tail, but waiting for him to be really calm and laying down and his zen-like self and then pet him so that it's reinforcing that behavior.
1: That's it, and that's how what we found is if we change, again, not to be abstract, but if we change the energy in the relationship, then the dog's behavior changes. And the dog actually can change its own behavior. And that's something else that, that even since we met that I've seen, there's newer science that demonstrates that the reward system in the dog's brain fires more for its human's attention than anything else. Ah,
0: than food or anything, it's all about. In
1: most of the dogs that come to us, I, mean, I, I have a, a colleague who is a master master aggression trainer, and he's relied with great success on food. I have a lot of dogs that come to us and that didn't work for them. So, you know, we found this niche where dogs could get help in a different way. And, um, and the energy is key.
0: Mm. Um, so what do you suggest if, this is so sad to even talk about, but we have to, if an animal is, being aggressive towards a baby and it's more Mm -hmm. than what a family can handle. I know we spoke about rehoming, but I, Mm -hmm. and of course I'm sure that is the last thing people want to think about. I mean, Adam and I really had to have those conversations and we ultimately did not make that decision and it was the right one for us Yeah, and it helped us grow as people. And I think also prepared and helped us to be parents because I do have to say, I think about you, constantly when i'm accepting my son for who he is and not what my childhood was Mm. or Mm. what i thought it was supposed to be and i feel like i got a lot of practice with that with roger
4: yeah yeah
0: but let's say aggression is still very much in the picture and parents are afraid or there's been a bite or something what the hell do people do
1: yeah well that, that, that single most important thing and I, I hope this is taken with the respect that I mean it, is is human safety, particularly the safety of the child. Uh, and if a dog is biting, um, it's imperative to contact a, an appropriate professional, somebody at the very least whose method is, is based in positive training. What I do know is that a child that watches violence in the home with dogs Oof. is much more likely to grow up being violent. So those kinds of things are maybe second in the focus, but it's part of the reality when we're looking at that element of danger. And that that even for myself in my own home, that we don't normalize that. I'm constantly explaining to my son that dogs are afraid and and how do we meet them where they're at and how do we be kind and those kinds of things. And uh, so getting immediate appropriate professional help, there are a lot of great places to look for that. Uh, You know, we do what we can with the show, but but that's not the same thing as being in somebody's house. And, you know, a show is also a show, and I take responsibility too for what we we are able to transmit. But above all, don't put a child at risk. I have been in a home where somebody, I said in no uncertain terms, I cannot sign off on this because your daughter just said to me that she's afraid. Your 10-year-old daughter just said to me that she's afraid, and I I do not feel comfortable about this dog remaining in this home. Mm Mm-hmm. And the mom chose to ignore the daughter and keep the dog in the home. And That's nothing I can do about so that. So
0: hard. I love that you brought up about the violence thing because I think it's, it's so great in today's day and age. I feel like there's a lot of literature that I have read just about disciplining kids and how mm-hmm. violence is mm-hmm. never. Ever, ever, ever—the option because it just teaches violence, and mm-hmm. it's so great to hear that that's the same with dogs. Like if you yeah. are hitting your dog to shape their behavior,
1: yeah, it's just going to show your
0: kids you—they can do the same.
1: Yeah, you're going to—you'll you, change behavior, but but you won't empower the kid or the dog to change its own behavior. You'll get respect in that the behavior is not not the same, but you're going to get a dog that is having to compartmentalize things and. Um, can't say enough about about what it's like as a dad to have to be accountable to my three and a half year old son about how I interact with my dogs.
0: Yeah. So how do you, this is a good question. How do you teach your kid and other kids how yeah. to approach dogs that yeah. are strangers or exactly dogs right. in other people's houses?
1: Yeah. So first thing is that I, my son had to know from the beginning that you never touch a dog without permission. And And we are, I'm not being cheeky and I'm not trying to capitalize on anything, but we are, in a, we are in a new understanding about what consent means. And this is an imperative for the dog's experience in the home. Do not touch a dog without permission. Now, what permission looks like may be different for different people. We're, we're really clear and intentional about how we do that. The thing I told my son is, you don't touch the dogs without permission. I taught him to look at things like stress or signals. Are the eyes getting tight? Is the dog turning away? Are the lips puckering? You know, is the mouth puckering? Are they licking their lips? Is the breathing changing? And we looked at a whole bunch of different things. But most of all, I said, you always go underhanded and you leave it there. Go underhanded and you leave it there so that the dog can tell you if it wants to come to you. Never go over the top of the head. Number one fear trigger for a dog is being touched around the back of the neck, and that's that's how I got bit on Halloween, and that's what most of us do, or would have done. So if I teach him that, you don't touch a dog without permission, and if you wanna ask permission, you go hand underneath first, and you let the dog come to you, and even then, the dog may not want may not want you to pet it, it may just want to sniff you and see what's going on. And so we had to teach them about patience and that's it. And that's actually a win for the dog because use of smell is part of a positive, uh, what we consider the list of positive reinforcers.
0: And it's such a valuable lesson. I mean, just listening to you say that it's like, you know, I'm I'm trying to teach Albie, like when he goes to someone's house, if there's a dog there, you can ask the owner, am I allowed Mm -hmm. to touch your pet? And if he gets permission from an adult then he puts his hand underhand out calmly and just waits for the dog to come to him. And if the dog chooses that he doesn't want to come to you, then that's it, that's the end of the story. It's not like, oh, that's my cue to go run after you and put my hand over hand over your head.
1: Yeah, any more than we'd get into a crowded room and we would say, uh, and I'd go over and close talk with people or hug them. (laughs) You know what I mean?
0: Right, that's exactly right. And now, in this season's must-have shades and patterns, add the finishing touch with the limited-edition bombshell-escape fragrance, a free-spirited take on the iconic Victoria's Secret scent. Dive into a vibrant blend of juicy guava, lush palms, and summer glow peony. Shop now at your closest Victoria's Secret store or online at victoriasecret.com.
2: This is it, your moment. This is your time to make your comeback with Purdue Global.
3: Orders. Don't delay in experiencing the fashion revolution that is snag at snagtights.us.
0: What about for people whose kids are? just afraid of dogs like there are just I used. Yeah. I was a nanny for 10 years before I gave birth to um not before I gave birth that is not true I was nanny for 10 years career. before scandal yeah. <laughs> yeah and I had a couple kids who were deathly afraid of kids and had never had an incident but they were the kids that when we showed up I had to ask the owner yeah. to please put the dog away because it's going to yeah. ruin the play date the kid I'm babysitting is just going to have a tantrum the whole time yeah what is that
1: Well, it's hard to say what it's like for for kids. They show up with any number of reasons why they're afraid. My experience has been that if the fear is not born out of an actual traumatic event, and traumatic event may just be that that I got scared as a kid. Dog mania didn't even necessarily bite me. But most of all, what I see is that the kids just don't know and they haven't been taught. And so in the same way that we want to set dogs like Roger up to succeed, we want to set the kids up. And so I want to give the kids room for safety and integration, give them space to observe. And if I can help a kid, I I do this. I've done this with my son and I do it with his friends. If I can just help them watch, Mm. they start to see things differently. And and even if they don't love dogs in, in the future, it makes a little bit of space. It puts a wedge between that fear and that possibility. And that can make the difference, you know, for a lifetime. And so, uh, oh,
4: that me, is such good I advice. Of,
1: I have a lot of, um, and that just means a lot to be able to do that with kids.
0: That's great advice. Cause I have seen also parents try to be like, you know, Oh, come on, get over it. Just touch the dog. It's yeah. fine. It's not scary. Sort of like push the kid into their mm-hmm. fear and push the kid into the experience with the dog. And I, I've always felt instinctually like that is not the right choice. So it's good for our listeners to know that if your kids are just innately afraid of dogs, to so maybe just be somewhere where they can watch them. Yes. Yep, <laughs> you know, from and, afar and get some space around the fear.
1: And uh, you know, my, my son has taught me that, that his feelings are really important. And if, I, if I'm gonna squash those i get over it then i actually am negating his ability to communicate with himself and to me that's that is really troublesome
2: mm-hmm. for
1: a parent
0: tell me about this is really scary for me if mm-hmm. my dog is now 10 mm-hmm. what in the heck for most people toddlers or younger kids sometimes their mm-hmm. first relationship with death will be an animal
2: yeah
0: what in the hell does
1: one do? I, I'm, I'm working through it right now. Four of our five dogs are seniors. Our oldest is 15. I think we've got a 15, 13, 12, 10, and I know it's coming. And, uh, and I'm not sure. (laughs) I'm not sure, but (laughs) I'll tell you what. We'll have to do another episode. Yeah, I think so. And And I'll share about that openly because I'm not, I certainly don't I don't have the answers by any stretch. Um, I have experience and, and, I, and it's important for me to be transparent because uh, it, if somebody can't relate to the experience, then it's not really worth much. Absolutely. And, uh, and I'm afraid and I tell my son I'm afraid and he sees me crying about, I see my dog in a moment. I, I feel like my oldest is becoming a ghost. I literally want to write a story uh, 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 called <sighs> Ghost Dog about him and I'm watching it happen. And, the, you know, this eyesight goes in the ear, the hearing goes and that, you know, you can see the stiffness and those kind uh, of things. And he sees me crying and I tell him, you know, he's going to he's going to pass. But I'm not even quite sure how to get into it beyond that. So, yeah, I'm having a similar
0: here. boat. My son is walking and running and scootering and bicycling and simultaneously my dog is getting more and more arthritis and I'm calling his name and he's not turning his head to see me. So his hearing is getting less and he has more moles than he's ever had. You know, it's just that cycle of life for parents who are considering adopting, fostering Mm -hmm. or bringing in an animal. Are there characteristics that one would look for in a dog that would, make the dog maybe better or worse to mm. be with young kids?
1: Yeah, there's things people will, will ask me about temperament for sure. There are things that are, that are often breed specific. I look at physical skill sets of a breed. Uh, obviously, there's a lot of press and positive and, and negative litigation around pit bulls, for example, and Brooklyn and I have two of them, uh, and both of them are exceptional with our kid, but I, I look at the physical skill set, you know, those are big. Strong, there are breeds that are big, strong dogs that are smart and sensitive, and they need a certain lifestyle. And that may or may not be conducive to the way one parents. You know, there's just that. Then people ask me about getting hypoallergenic dogs and dogs that bark and those kinds of things. I'm working with a golden retriever now that's one of the more dangerous dogs I've ever worked with. You wouldn't think that, but never. Right. I feel so, like every little video I
0: see of a baby rolling around on an animal, it's a fucking golden retriever, and I'm just yeah. sitting here with my. Crotchety, air snapping, wheat and terrier, and I'm like,
1: God damn it, that about fucking golden in retriever. In <laughs> <one>. <laughs> yeah, so I don't, I don't. That's not my world. Uh, what I think is really important is for the the humans, the parents, to get honest with themselves about why they want a dog and and what kind of dog they want and why they want that kind of dog. Because if it's used as a salve for something else, if it's used to, to fill a void for something else, then, then it likely will become problematic because that dog is arriving not knowing that this whole thing is going to be put on it. And that's important. So fostering with reputable foster organizations, I happen to have the, the great privilege to serve as an advisor to a, a newer rescue group called Real Time Rescue, which I will plug shamelessly. And, please, and, and we will
0: include links to that.
1: Thank you. And their tenants are exceptional. And they take responsibility from the moment they find the dog all the way through the end, rather than, hey, I pulled 50 dogs from a shelter. Can somebody give me money? Mm. You know, Like none of that. There's, there's a different sense of responsibility and transparency and integrity in what they do. So it's what part of what I encourage people to include in their conversation. Where is a reputable rescue? And how do they work? And tell me about their stories. And really get the information, because there's a whole underside what happens in the rescue world, which I won't take up time Ooh, here. And, and, and word of mouth is really key.
0: When I adopted Roger at seven, I thought he was cute, a supermodel, which he is. Yeah. He was a show dog, yeah. guys. Yeah. And he was the exact breed that I grew up with. So I put on this dog my
1: right. entire
0: childhood experience that. That's right. And saw visions of me walking around with this supermodel, the dog, that I could pat on my back because I adopted a senior dog, yes, but he was a supermodel, <laughs> and yes. And this dog is nothing like the dog I grew up with, nothing,
1: yep.
0: but has taught me more than I could ever thank him for. Well,
1: you, you've given him a home that is nothing like the home he grew up in. Nope. It's really quite beautiful. Oh.
0: He does never have to show again, that's for sure, yeah, yeah, are is there anything you can tell us about this time and coronavirus and dogs who are in shelters or things like that?
1: yeah w- w- what's happening there's there's a movement that's happening that I think is is quite beautiful where people are they're they're making the extra effort to adopt dogs or to foster dogs you know short term or long term just to keep the dogs in need. you know what we're seeing here in l a county is that dogs that aren't severe cases aren't going to be accepted at shelters, so there is a huge number of dogs that, that ostensibly are, are going to need to be rehomed. And for people that have space and have the time, which a lot of us do, um, and have the patience, uh, this is a great opportunity to give to something and to, and to bond and to have relationships. And keep in mind that if you're not gonna be this dog's forever person, that it's not enough just to spoil the dog until that dog lands in another home because that dog is learning from you right now what it needs to do to be able to go out and have a place in the world where it belongs and where it can stay. Mm.
0: Yeah, I've been seeing that a lot um, on social media, people saying this is a great time to foster a pet, but that's a really good point. It's like, okay, don't take in this foster dog for three weeks and like give it 8,000 treats and a a reality that will not be true at the end of it. But I can say as a dog owner during this time, I feel very grateful to have a dog. I keep Mm. having recollections of, of uh, the other big things in my life that were global and one of them being nine 11. And I, Mm. I remember all of those emotional support dogs being around. And I can say that this is, I'm really happy that I have my dog and just being able to pet him puts me in the present moment and can be a lovely release from all of the stress going on right now. So for people who are looking into fostering right now and looking for some companion, maybe you live alone and you're lonely, or yeah. your family's far away and you're quarantined in a different faraway city. Like it could yeah. be a great opportunity.
1: And Real Time Rescue, Real Time Rescue is a great organization that I work with that I get to serve as an advisor on. And you contact them, Real Time Rescue Inc. at gmail.com, Real Time Rescue on Instagram and Facebook, and they can hook you up with dogs or hook you up with people that have dogs.
0: This is amazing. Any last bits of wisdom, plugs, hmm. tell us where listeners can find you and just listen to your energy about dogs yeah, and family
4: life.
1: Yeah. Uh, thank you. The, uh, so our, our website is the Zen i love to have people follow us on Facebook, the Zen Dog LA, Instagram, the Zen Dog LA. And there's a lot of information on our website. We have a document called hope for help because now that we have a global reach, I think our show is in, maybe 20 countries at this point, and And it's, it's been remarkable, the feedback. And obviously, we can't help everybody. And I want to be intentional and responsible about how we can help. We have a lot of information on the website to at least begin the conversation for people between themselves and their dogs. And uh, I think the art of consideration is really what I'm talking about. This whole thing is consideration. There's something that I don't know about this dog or myself or this moment, the knowing of which would change our experience. And if I stay open, if we look at the logo, the logo is open-ended, the circle's open-ended because there's always more I don't know. And if you look at the pad in the logo, as I'm trying to do this backwards in the camera, the pad of the logo is a sitting Buddha. And that's not for religious purposes, that's just to remind me that, that the center of what I do is about being quiet and paying attention. And when I slip, it's usually because I stop considering things, yeah. ego impatience, whatever it was. But if I start to make it about me, it's going to go south sooner or later. And this is the
0: Zen Dog logo.
1: Yeah, this is the Zen Dog logo. And I just
0: feel like with or without pets, if you are people that have pets, don't have pets, have aggressive pets, have pets that aren't Mm -hmm. aggressive, I think we should all just spend a nice week retreat at the Zen Dog. Mm. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs>
1: mm, love to. That's actually our five-year plan. I got, I've got a whole master thing where, where you could come spend a weekend in a, in a cabin at the back part of a huge property come on. we will integrate you, I'm telling you.
0: Come on. This sounds like heaven yeah. on earth. Um, yeah. Are there any last bits of advice you could give for parents that are either about to bring a baby home into a household that has a dog or mm-hmm. people that are looking to get a dog?
1: I think uh, don't do it alone. Don't do it alone. There's a, there's an immediate sense of isolation if you're not already in it when you're expecting and you're bed bound and those kinds of things. Don't do it alone and uh, get a, get appropriate help and keep talking to people. You know there there's there's so much wisdom out there and information and great science and uh, and there's mastery out there. But most of all, don't do it alone. Uh, and I think second to that, which I I am right now learning in my life, is be a little bit easier on yourself in the moment.
0: Love that. See. Guys, Matt Beisner, Zen Dog, you think it's going to be about your dog, and this is the funny thing. It's about you. <laughs> <laughs> Am I right?
1: <laughs> 100%. As long, especially if you make it about the dog, <laughs> it'll definitely become about you.
0: Matt, thank you so much for being no, on Katie's crib. You are country. a gem. I, Roger thanks you. Adam mm-hmm. and I thank you endlessly. Alby, thanks you endlessly.
1: Thank you. Thanks for letting me be part of your family and give them all my best. I give will. Give them all appropriate affection for you. I
0: will. <laughs> I hope you guys learned so much about having a dog and having that part of your evolving family. I know Matt was so helpful to me in the time where I needed it most. And it meant a lot to me to be able to share him with you guys. So thank you for tuning into Katie's Crib. And I would love to hear from you guys so we can continue navigating this mama thing together email me at Crib at shondaland.com. You guys are incredible. I am so thankful to have you in my tribe. Love you, love you, love you. Get some sleep if you can. Katie's Crib is a production of Shondaland Audio in partnership with iHeartRadio. For more podcasts from Shondaland Audio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows.